Welcome to episode 74 of the Utah Royal SFC show. I'm Deirdre. With me, I've got Lucas. Hello. How's it going? Things are good, man. How about you? Ah, doing well. Um, yeah. You know, it's a uh, little bit of a disappointing week in soccer wise, but, you know, life itself is is fine. And I have to remind myself that soccer is a game. Yeah. Yeah. I... I absolutely feel that, especially with, I, I know this is a Utah Royals FC show podcast, but the Tony Beltran news, mm. like I'm, I still haven't processed it, but I know like, it's just going to hit me in like a really awkward situation. You know, I'll probably just be in public and start crying somewhere. And it's like, never going to see Tony suit up again. I know. I, I heard that news um, middle of last week and I was like, oh, okay. And then I read his letter and that's when it hit me. And I was like, oh man, like, you know, I used to sit uh, lower in section 35 and it felt like Tony was always just kind of blazing up and down that wing and he would wave to the fans and was super friendly. And then as I got more involved in media stuff, had a couple of really great interactions with him. Um, and he's just kind of one of the originals in a lot of ways. He's been with the team for 12 years. Uh, and it's sad to see him go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think the relationship with Tony for a lot of fans is, I don't know if like intimate probably isn't the right word, but you know, like Beckerman and Ramondo and even Javi when he was around, like that's where the attention would be. That's where the clout would be. That would be, you know, where the cred would be. And with Tony, it's equally as important but just sort of, you know, more of like a side piece, both because of the position that he played and I think just the personality, but great, great, great human. Hopefully he does something in the organization. Yeah, I saw uh, someone posted a screenshot of a of his LinkedIn that he's going to, looks like get an MBA. So my hope is that he either runs the, the RSL organization in two to three years or MLS entirely. That would be really cool. Smart dude. He'll do uh, anything he puts his mind to. So, in NWSL and more directly related to our podcast news, we've got an update on Ryan Kelly. A couple updates, actually. So, September 11th, he and his dad um, watched the game. And uh, the, the doctor said that they wanted to restrict the amount of TV and things that he can watch because it overstimulates his brain. But uh, they watched the whole game and he was awake the whole time. And so that's super awesome. A couple mm-hmm. days later, so Friday the 13th, so on last Friday, um, his breathing tube has been replaced by a trach. And there's a new feeding tube in his stomach. So that's supposedly going to be better for nutrition and uh, and terms of resting comfortably and uh things like that in terms of like physical therapy and things um in terms of his like moving sitting following uh commands uh nonverbal communications he's recognizing what's going on and the best news of all is that this may have already happened if not it's going to happen uh later on this week i'll need to check in so uh ryan is going to be moved out of the critical care ward and into the acute care ward. So um, that would come with uh, a few less restrictions. So visitors would be allowed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, just as sort of an overall sign that things are improving. So small miracles are happening, happening and uh, you know, keep, keep sending positive vibes his way. Um, Trying to work out a situation, uh, as to whether it's going to be like GoFundMe or some other type of format, but we'll, we'll try to get some um, some way for folks to uh, contribute to the situation monetarily. So good stuff. Good news. Yeah. Such a sad situation, but I'm glad to hear that, you know, Ryan's trending in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, and other... It- Good news related to bad situations. Um, <laughs> the person that shouted the racist, racist abuse, abuse at French uh, has been identified. Um, they've given a ban from all NWCL events. Um, 
as well as uh, a Rio Tinto and um, Zion's Bank Band, so they can't attend um, Utah Royals games at all, but also uh, any home RSL or uh, Real Monarchs games, which is the right statement for the club to make. Um, super, it's, I find it very frustrating that this is happening in Utah at all, that... Um, you know, that happened with a, uh, at a jazz game last year. Um, there's all the crap that's going on in the south end of uh, RSL games with the um, fan with the Betsy Ross flag, um, who's been known to make racist remarks to people in the Hispanic community. Um, so it's incredibly frustrating that uh, racism is showing its uh, face in Utah, but it's also sort of a ray of hope that the organization is taking a stance a- against this, that both NWSL as a, as a league and um, RSL as an organization are showing no tolerance to this. And I just want to read the league statement. After a thorough investigation, the individual who made the racist comments towards one of our players at the Utah Royals FC home game on September 6, 2019, has been identified and banned from attending games at Rio Tinto Stadium. The ban will also extend to all NWSL games played at other venues. NWSL will not tolerate inappropriate fan behavior. Racism, racism has no place in our sport. I think that's a great statement. Um, I was unclear if the, the Rio Tinto ban would extend to RSL games. So I reached out to, um, uh, to the front office and was told, yes, that does apply to RSL games as well. Um, but Virtua, have you heard the length of the ban? Is it, is it this year, the remainder of the season? Is it a lifetime ban? Do you have any idea there? So I don't, I would hope that it's lifetime ban. Um, Cause that shouldn't be allowed. Uh, for sure. I'm going to assume it's lifetime ban. I don't know that a hundred percent, but that's just sort of what I would assume with an instance yeah. like that. Yeah. I was listening to the equalizer podcast last week uh, after, you know, the incident came to light. Um, and one of the hosts was saying she kind of hoped it was like a multiple year ban, but not lifetime ban to kind of hope that someone could and would change. Um, uh, and I really like that sentiment that, you know, racism is terrible, but if you're a racist person, like you can change, like you don't have to stay a racist person. Um, but we'll see. I honestly have no idea how, how the, the club or the league enforces a ban like that, but I think it's at least a statement that counts. Definitely. And the thing that I'm really happy about too, is so last week we were talking um, obviously about the incident and it's funny because the club released a statement finally indicating that an incident happened um, right after we wrapped up recording. And I thought that that statement was actually like super weak. The fact that it took them like 72 hours to write that statement, it was just like really kind of like blah, that's weak. So the fact that uh, the club is really sort of cracking down on this type of stuff um both in terms of what's happening at, at RSL games and uh, what's happening here is, and I think getting like players like getting Kristen press to do a video like that, or getting Becky Sauerbrunn to do like a, a little miniature video like that is, is really good. So it's, it's definitely good steps and uh, can honestly say that I'm like proud of my club for doing that, which is pretty awesome. Um, On the other hand, and maybe this is more of like a little bit of a a radical point of view, but do you, well, actually, so backtracking, do you have any idea how the club is going to enforce this? Do they have like pictures of the person? No idea. No idea. Um, I mean, someone from the club, I think it was two days after. Yeah, it was Monday. I was shortly before they put out that statement. Um called me and asked if I knew who it was or had any information because I'd been taking photos um, in, in front of Section 15, which is where the incident happened. Um, and I'm just thinking calling it an incident sounds so so weak. I don't, I don't know how else to sum up like racist abuse like that repeatedly. But anyhow, I got a phone call um, and 
just told them what I knew, but I, I was, I had no idea that it happened until after the game. So I would hope that they have photos of this person, um, available to security, but I, I don't know how, um, you know, a venue handles a band like that. Yeah, makes sense. So my more sort of radical take on this is I wish we knew names or like I wish we had a picture because the thing is, is that if you're going to feel comfortable saying something like this in front of a ton of people, there are people around you, a player can hear it. You're clearly saying this pretty loudly. Chances are you're also going to be the type of person to, uh, you know, like use that type of rhetoric and discourse in your communities, in your neighborhoods, around your friends, you know, that's, that's definitely not the first time someone has shouted things like that if they're doing it in public at a soccer game. And so I wish that there were some sort of identification that way there should be some type of, you know, like social repercussions because someone like that probably shouldn't feel super comfortable coming to games or at least, you know, I don't, I know obviously like, yes, people should, should apologize. But if you hold those mindsets and you're going to do something like that, um, you shouldn't feel comfortable coming to games because there should be some sort of, you know, uh, slightly afraid of, of, of showing up for that reason. Uh, for example, there's someone who was um, involved in the court SG last year and uh, they uh, were a sexual predator and they don't come to games anymore because they know that they're going to get their ass kicked if they show up. You know, and so I think something like that would would be kind of helpful to sort of deter that type of behavior, you know? Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, that makes me feel a little bit nervous of, oh, like putting someone on blast and it's going to be like vigilante justice or, you know. Um, uh-huh. But on the other hand, I totally agree. Like, if you're doing this in public, you've clearly given away um, any right to anonymity. Um I would say if you are at Rio Tinto Stadium, probably anywhere in life, and you see someone shouting racist things, you have a very good video camera in your hand or in your pocket in the form of your cell phone. Take a video of that. Like, that would have made this whole investigation go so much faster if, you know, some user on on Twitter or Instagram was like, I saw this racist, uh, this person shouting racist things at a game. Like, here's a video. And then, you know, there's some public accountability for those actions. Um, And yeah, I think if you're going to do that in public, you deserve to be filmed. Um, And, you know, I I think there's a way to come back from that. Like if you are a racist, you do not have to stay racist. You can, there can be redemption. You can, um, and I feel like I'm getting into really religious language, but like, repent and change uh, and like turn your story around um, apologize and make amends and you know be like I've evaluated these things and that was really inappropriate and wrong and I that's not who I want to be um, super curious about who this person is and what their mindset of it was like I did hear that it was teenage boys or something and I wonder wonder if that's just like them trying to be provocative and edgy or something like that. But like, we don't know. Um, But it's just, yeah, unfortunate all around. But again, I would say if you see someone shouting racist things, film them and yeah, put it out there, get it to the club, whatever. Yeah. There, I agree with you. You know, there's always, you know, to borrow your word, room for repentance. There's a really cool story. Um, about a guy who like tattoos over um, like swastika and like mm-hmm. white nationalist tattoos that folks have who have like left the clan and left, um, you know, those types of organizations. So yeah, absolutely on, on, on the table, no doubt. Um, I think, I think part of my, I guess, desire for a public outing is also cause I uh, trust security, like little to no percent, uh, little to no percent um, just due to my own experiences with security and trying to bring in like drums and flags, even with like passes and things. But um, yeah. So steps in the right direction. Glad this has happened for sure. Without a doubt. All right. 
Um, do you want to talk about some of the other stuff that happened yeah, around the lake? So, uh, U.S. Uh, women's national team legend played her celebration game for the North Carolina Courage. She scored a goal, a beautiful goal, played a great game. And just like her last game with the national team, she got subbed off in extra time with no replacement, which is super awesome, I think. Yeah, I love that statement. I think that's really, really special. Yeah, I love stuff like that. It's just, it's such a testament to the game. It's so cool. Um, When Robin Van Persie played his last game, Last year, there was a break in the game, and then players from both from um, both teams sort of lined up and created a little. Um, what are they called? I guess just lines for him to like mm. walk through off the field. I thought that that was really cool. I think um, to be subbed off and not replaced is even yeah. cooler. And for the sure. courage, uh, even with uh, losing that player have been doing well is <laughs> a gross understatement. Yes. Uh, their last two games have been, uh, is it six zero and six one, something ridiculous like that? Yeah. Six zero and six one. So in the last two games, they are 12 and one. And uh, guess what? We play them after we play the rain. So yes, super, stuff. super stoked that we get to face them of all teams after a short, uh, short turnaround. Yeah. Yeah. We've been uh, preaching all year how the end of the season is going to be rough, but yeah, it's, it's going to be rough on other news with the courage though. is So they set a regular season attendance record with 9,563. That's a pretty good turnout for Cary, North Carolina. Yeah. I've been to that, um, to that stadium. It's a cool little stadium and the capacity is 10,000. Like, they're just a hair under selling out. And I cannot imagine how rocking that must have been to see um, uh, that that stadium just packed out like that. Like, that's so great to see. Uh, because I know they're by Raleigh, but still not a massive area. Um, it's a good little mm-hmm. city, but uh, like unlike Salt Lake, which is a smaller city, I don't think it has the um, the metro area that we have here. In other attendance news, um, the Spirit had seventeen thousand four hundred eighteen people show up at Audi Field. I'm like that's insane to me. I'm so excited about that, but like, where did they get all these fans? That's a huge number. When you play your games not forty five fifty minutes outside of DC, that's how you, how you get people to show up. Yeah, that's I think yeah. I mean, it's the same thing we saw with Sky Blue when they were playing at. Um, uh, Red Bull Stadium, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the, one of the reasons why I'm really glad the Royals play at Rio Tinto and not at Zion's Bank Stadium, because if you have the capacity, people come out for the games. Yeah, they're very reasonably yeah. priced and it's like the best women's league in the world. And we have so many World Cup winners that you can see every single game. It's phenomenal. Without a doubt, without a doubt. That's why, um, I guess, some of the, the talk that we heard, which I, I, I'm, you know, I don't think is credible about them moving to Zions Bank is just ridiculous because numbers would plummet. I know I've gone to, like, maybe, and this is sad to say because I love the Monarchs, but, like, three three four monarchs games since they moved compared to going to like half of them each season just because yeah it's that further of a drive for me and i know like it's not yeah it's only like 20 minutes from rio tinto but you know coming from the other direction that's you know a huge extra little bit so you know the the glamour and the symbolism of rio tinto stadium uh, gets people to come out for sure. So would be devastated to see that, but yeah. it's, it's good to see um, stuff like that happening, you know, to have these high attendance numbers. Uh, for example, sky blue, their game against, I should have written this down. 
but they have an upcoming game that's going to be played in Red Bull Arena due to high demand. So hopefully that could be maybe a move that's made long term. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Anyways, oh, go ahead, Lucas. I was going to say, should we get into um, uh, the Houston game? Yeah, yeah, we've uh, we got a game to talk about. I'll let you take it away. So it was a two-one loss. Um, Utah Royals at Houston Dash. Um, I think it was the first time this season, hopefully not ever, but uh, that that Houston had been leading by two goals. Um, and I can't stress this enough. It is such a battle right now for Utah Royals to keep that fourth and final playoffs spot. Um, they're in major danger of dropping into fifth, where we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Um, but Houston was just really effective, unfortunately, against us. Uh, um, I think they beat us earlier in the season as well. I could be wrong on that. Um, but let's just kind of walk through the through the goals. Um, feel free to jump in if you have anything to add. Uh, that first goal for the dash comes in the 27th minute. Um, and it was kind of a cluster of a goal. Uh, it was a poor clearance by Corsi. And that's unfair because Corsi's just doing anything she can to, to, to block the so- shot. So she like slides in. And she does block a shot, um, uh, but the ball falls to Scott, who just can't quite control. Um, if she could, like, have just one-timed it to low, like, it's they're out of danger. Low is in a really good place, but she just isn't able to bring the ball under control. Um, and it kind of bounces to uh, uh, her. How do you say her name? Herta? Huerta? Herta? Huerta. Sorry, my pronunciations are awful. <laughs> Um, Huerta, uh, takes a shot and puts it away. And when that happens, Corsi's on the ground, Bowen's pretty far out, right? She's cutting off a pass. Um, but Lowe, Scott, Sauerbrunn, Vero, Weber, all in a totally ineffective position. Um, if you look at the moment the shot is taken, it, it basically looks like a 3v1 or 3v2 for the dash, and that's really poor defending. Um, and and Utah is a team that is good at defending, so it's really disappointing to see them not set up better to, to prevent that goal, to prevent that shot from even happening. I, I think one thing I want to add in too um, is that's especially true given how good – defensively we were against Portland because it felt like the ball was just always going into the box. And in the instance of both the goals, it just was defensive collapse. Yeah. Well, that's a perfect segue to the second (laughs) goal, uh, which comes in the 62nd minute. Um, And to me, this one is largely in, um, on Weber. Like she's, uh, she just gets beat. She is um, marking uh, Huerta again, but um, doesn't cut out the pass and doesn't track with her, uh, at least not fast enough. Um, now, when it's that pass is first taken, it looked a lot. There's a screenshot that went around that made it look like she was offside. Um, but then a second screenshot came out where someone kind of used the – grass as the correct lines and added additional straight lines um, that shows that Corsi is basically keeping uh, Huerta on on side. It's it's very slight, um, but that sort of causes Sauerbrunn to not really track back at full speed. She's kind of, she's running back, but kind of jogging. It looks like she's kind of shouting to the, to the um, assistant ref on the line. Um, and as soon as the goal gun comes in, Becky kind of starts shouting and waving at the um, the assistant, uh, who rightly didn't call Huerta offside. Um, and where Becky's position when the ball is played, it's her. Corsi's behind her, so she can't see that she's about a step closer to um, 
to goal than uh, she is. And so kind of everyone else is in this line, except for, of course, he's slightly off. Becky can't see it and thinks she's off, so she doesn't seem to really track back as much as she could. Um, and she probably would have been in the best position to cut out uh, Huerta when she cuts in around uh, Weber, who is still struggling to keep up. It's a really unfortunate goal, um, but it's well played by the dash. Um, and once again, we find Utah's defense just disorganized and not not effective, which is, you know, a very different kind of goal than the first goal, but feels like similar problems to me. Uh, what's your take on that, Virgil? Yeah, it's definitely, definitely some similar problems. It's just not. It's just a lack of consistency, which is so, so, so frustrating. We'll talk about that a little bit more in, in a little bit more detail later on. But. Yeah. Well, a, a little bit of redemption comes. Um, Gunning gets subbed on, and then in the 75th minute, she scores a goal. Uh, that goal is kind of a scramble. Um It's not well controlled by anyone, but um, I believe it's press that eventually pushes it out to Gunny and she just one one times it into the top right corner, takes it beautifully, doesn't hesitate. um, uh, And yeah, puts it away. And I, you know, I'm honestly not sure how good of a game Gunny had overall, (laughs) but when you get a goal that solves a lot of problems, unfortunately it wasn't enough to get a result here, but she deserves a lot of credit for that composure and that finish. Yeah. Yeah. The goal sort of gave hope, you know, cause there really wasn't, it didn't ever really look dangerous. It was like, Oh, there's a random goal that, you know, thought we were going to get shut out. And then sort of thinking, maybe we get back in it. Maybe we get, get back in it. We don't, yeah. but yeah. I mean, press good. was really, was really unfortunate uh, in the 85th minute to not get a goal. Um, yeah, Kristen had had the ball, was kind of pulled back uh, in the box, and if she had fallen, I think she would have gotten a penalty or reacted more. Um, but she stays on her feet. She kind of fights through, takes a shot, goes right to the keeper, and is you know uh, pushed out. Um, and that that moment would have been so key if you know to get an equalizer, to finish 2-2, by no means would make playoffs a sure thing, but it does, every point is just invaluable, you know, it's, uh, at this time of the season. I mean, it would have given breathing room. I don't know if even that, because Seattle is, or the rain are so close, but yeah, it feels like at least a half breath of room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A half breath of room, and so to let that go to waste was not not great. So let's uh, let's dive into stats a little bit here, as well as some of the feedback that y'all listeners on Twitter had about the game. So there were fourteen shots. Royals only put four on target. Not a great not a great ratio at all. We've seen worse this year, but that's still not a ratio that. You know, you really want to be looking at shots are shots don't mean much if you're not forcing the keeper or in this case, you know, Jane Campbell to to really do anything. Um, we had a couple of folks. Um, so like Keels, DJ, B. Schneider all emphasized the poor passing and how sluggish themes things seemed. And that was really a common thing uh, th- throughout the game. But one thing that I sort of want to differentiate, and this is something that we've really seen all season, is that the passing isn't that bad. We actually pass the ball nearly 82%. The problem is, is that we cannot pass in the final third at all. And then our um, insistency to pass the ball around the back contributes to this sort of sort of sluggishness Well. Obviously, of course, contributing to the fact that we are passing at, at, at 82%. So when the passing really matters in terms of being an offensive threat, we're not converting. Amy Rodriguez completed 43% of her passes. 43%. If you're a striker, 
you shouldn't be, uh, you know, completing 90, 85% of, uh, of, of your passes. But when it comes to generating opportunities to someone else cutting in offensively needs to be better than that. Press 60%. It's back up. Midfield, Desiree Scott, 94%. Completed 94% of her passes. Uh, Becky and Rachel, around 90% each as well. It's, we do not know how to pass the ball moving forward. And when when we try, we turn it over or it goes out of bounds. So I I, I think it comes down to two things. I think you're not aggressive enough in the first place. And then when you're trying to be aggressive enough, you're not accurate. Yeah, I mean, I think that, Attackers are always going to have a lower passing percentage than defenders mm-hmm. and midfielders uh, because they're doing more dangerous things. They're kind of they're often taking bigger risks. But man, eighty what forty three percent is abysmal. Um, yeah, and I and I don't think that that means Amy Rodriguez as is a po- a poor player or that Kristen Press is a poor player. Like we know that's not true. They're good players. But there's something mm-hmm. else going on that's causing um, – yeah, it feels like something is causing the attack to not be nearly as effective as we should as we should see. We have a good team. We have yeah. good attackers. Um, the question is what is going wrong to where they're not yeah. creating more opportunities, not scoring mm-hmm. more goals? And it's not, you know, just them as well. So, you know, I don't want to pinpoint on them. I don't remember the exact numbers, but Labonta was like passing in the low 70s, which is understandable. Mallory Weber was in the 60s. I think Katie Bowen was passing in, you know, around 68% or, or, or something like that for Katie mm-hmm. Bowen. And so it's just sort of, I mean... All around, it's just not not converting. But even more to me than that is that there's this sort of lack of urgency that I felt, especially towards the end of the game. You know, you don't get a point for free for passing the ball around the back. You have to actually score, and that's something that's that's really frustrating to me. That we it seems like we do tactically time and time and time again. There are absolutely advantages you know, to uh, passing the ball around the back. I get it. You're opening up space. You're trying to hold possession, see what types of things you can generate. But you also need to to take shots, to be aggressive, to um, be willing to expose yourself to the counterattack a little bit, which we did a couple times and, you know, we we lost to in in the one instance. But you got to take those chances. You got to have – some urgency, some energy. Like uh, Jay noted, you, you, you can't be slow and have it be and, and, and have it be forced. You still have to find the natural rhythm of the game, but you, you gotta move the ball the ball forward and you know create positive, positive chances. Mm-hmm. So those are those are my takes. Yeah, I mean, it's a game where I don't think anyone covered themselves in glory, unfortunately. Um, so I, I think at this point, just kind of take it on the chin. Hopefully Laura can figure out what went wrong and uh, turn around and prepare for uh, for the rain. Before we talk about the rain, uh, there's a couple things I want to talk about first. And one of them is, so John, fantastic listener. Hey, John, how's it going, man? So he said this, and I don't think there could be a one-liner that could be any more true in regards to this season. The Royals consistently play to their opponent's level. We win games and do fantastic in games against teams which are brilliant, like the Courage, or more recently like the the Thorns, and then we drop points to teams that we shouldn't be losing to. They need to find... Their tempo and style, they they looked really, really lost in the last game. And it feels like, I, I, I don't think it's intentional, but like John said, at some point, 
you have to play your game and not worry about the opponent. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It, yeah. I mean, we lost Sky Blue uh, not that long ago. Um, yeah. yeah. And so it's not – yeah, I mean, it's obviously we're, – we're ahead of the standings in the dash and Sky Blue, and both of those were away losses, but we've also had some – home losses uh, that, yeah, you know, you would, you'd hope when you're at home, you're not dropping points. Um, you know, we're slightly above the rain in the standings and they beat us two zero in June. You know, it's not that long ago um, at Rio Tinto stadium. I, I, I don't know what the mentality is that causes that. It, it's hard to read in because this, the team has been very inconsistent with injuries in the world cup and all that. Um, but you would hope to see a little bit more consistency in playing style and just ability to control a game ability to break down opponents. You know, when you waste an opportunity like this, how it's just sort of what type of confidence does that give you playing, knowing that you're playing the rain, the courage in Chicago next, um, to, to jump ahead in the dock a little bit, and we, we won't talk about the rain a whole ton, um, but the Royals' remaining schedule is the rain, the courage, Chicago, and the dash again. If you were to pick four teams that I would prefer not to play in the last four games of the season, it literally would be these, except for uh, you know maybe swap the dash or... Chicago with Portland in this in this instance. These points that were left on the table, much like the game against Washington, it's going to be big. The implications and the ramifications of leaving those points on the table, not only do I think they, they hurt momentum and confidence, but they turn a game that was incredibly important against the Reign into a must-win playoff type of situation against the rain. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, do you do you have any other thoughts on the game against Houston? No, I, I don't. I, I think it's just, you know, a disappointing performance. But, you know, our team is made up of pros or, or made up of very talented players. I think they can turn it around to help their response is anger. And the a chip on the shoulder, and they have mm-hmm. something to prove, um, because that mentality can carry a team really well. Uh, it could also be a mentality of, oh man, like we couldn't even beat like Houston. How are we going to beat the rain? Um, that's something to worry about. But if the response is like, oh man, we let ourselves down. We're better than that. Let's go show everyone we're better than that. Then you know that's a that's a decent mindset to have going into mighty Tacoma. Yeah, agreed with that. I think it's so frustrating, and I'm sure the players feel this too, is to go from being so hot to to you know hitting the crapshoot a little bit to being so hot to hitting the crapshoot a little bit. Just it's got to be a range of emotions. I know the the NWSL is definitely a league where I guess unless you're Orlando or sky blue, you know, you can take points any on any given week, any given game, just because the, the league is the most competitive, you know, professional women's league in the world, but it, you know, a little bit more consistency would feel. feel Yeah. Really really good. I think after that run of what, uh, three wins, and then a tie at Washington, um, and then a win at home. It felt like, oh, the Royals have figured something out. Like, hopefully, uh, the Washington spirit was just kind of a fluke. It was the end of a long road trip, but they, you know, they've got it figured out. Um, but the last two games, you know, Becky Sauerbrunn header is the one. Uh, the one difference maker we've had, you know, she's got more goals than press in the last two games, which is alarming because press is one of our, you know, stars, one of our goal scorers. Um, 
And so, yeah, Wednesday is going to be interesting. One other thing that I, I, I really want to point out is Houston did a fantastic job at shutting press down. And that's um, a little concerning considering there are much, much better defenses in this league. Um, so we'll see how they rebound. And hopefully, like you said, with with anger, with energy, I think you definitely need to start with energy. But I think to lose to Houston, which is a team which is, you know, and definitely not what I think anyone would imagine to be a, a title contender this year or last year or, you know, next year, to lose to them twice this season and maybe even three times um, – it hurts, you know. It stings. It stings a little bit to uh, to lose to a team like that. All right. So Rain FC must win game, guys. Guys, this is literally a playoff game. Royals are in fourth. Rain in fifth. Uh, obviously, fourth and up make the playoffs. Both teams are tied on thirty-one points. Pino is back, I believe. So. That's obviously a threat, but the main point is is that with both teams having the same amount of games to go, being tied on points, uh, the winner of this game really sort of has the opportunity to control their mm-hmm. destiny, and especially considering that the remainder of the schedule too, you know, it's not going to get any easier after this next game with. Obviously, this game on the road, then North Carolina at home on Saturday, then Chicago away, and then the Dash at home. So I did want to talk about that a little bit. Like, uh, the Reigns' final schedule is much easier than us. You know, they we play two teams above us, um, one home, one away, uh, and then the Dash. The uh, Reigns' final three games, Sky Blue at home, Thorns at home, uh, pride away like you would expect rain to be sky blue at home like for sure pride away should is you know should happen thorns at home is going to be their biggest challenge but it's really conceivable that they draw or win that whereas it's also very conceivable that we you know uh, we lose two out of the three if not all three of our last three games uh the difference make the one thing that could really give the Royals hope is uh, the Reigns still have a very very long injury list. It was eleven player players at one point. It's down to eight players are listed as out. No one's questionable. No one has international duty. Megan Rapino is back. I don't know if she'll start. I don't think she has started a game um, this entire season for the rain. I could be wrong there. It, it might've changed in their last game or two. Um, but man, like it's going to be, it's going to be tight if they're going to make it. Um, yeah. The Laura Harvey is going to have to pull out something big. If uh, the Royals are going to make the playoffs at this point. And the first step for that is going to be, be to beat the rain in Tacoma. I, I I disagree with that. I don't think they have to pull out anything big as of now. I think they do after the rain game because if you if you draw points, well, I guess you could get a draw. But if you were to to give up three points in this upcoming game, mm-hmm. I it's gonna be super 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 rough to get into the playoffs. I I kind of think that the rain will maybe drop a point to Orlando away. I don't know. You never know. But regardless, like you said, I would much rather have their schedule than the schedule that we have now because it's gonna be it's gonna be real real tight. So buckle up. In terms of someone else sort of getting pushed out. Not super likely. Portland is above us in third. We are in fourth, obviously, with 31 points. They have 36. They have three games to go. 
Um, above them is Chicago with 38, North Carolina with 40. So there's quite a bit of a jump there. So it's going to take more than one game for any of the teams above us to slip. So really, we're the ones who can't slip. The good news is is that Washington is behind us in sixth, and uh, they're five points behind us. So it's really cannot overstate how important this game is. I mean, I think just in talking about the standings, Portland is hurting a lot. Um, they have not been playing well. Um, I mean, they just 6-0 at home is an incredible result, even against North Carolina Courage. Um, and, you know, they their last game before that was the loss to Utah Royals, 1-0 at Rio Tinto. Um, but before that, they had been playing pretty well. Um. So, yeah, I think it's unlikely that either Rain FC or Utah Royals overtakes Portland in the standings, but it, it could happen. Um, it is funny that the Spirit are five points behind uh, Royals, and I'm like, oh, there's no chance they catch Utah Royals. Utah Royals are five points behind Portland. I'm like, oh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, just it's just going to be – yeah, a slugfest these last four games. Going to come down to the wire for sure. Um, on the notion of Portland, um, too, though, is so Portland, obviously, as we talk about, they uh, they play the rain. So regardless of what happens, you know, I think Portland's going to be, you're going to be rooting for Portland in that game. And uh, That just yeah. feels gross. It does. It does feel really, really gross. All right, so we've got two listener questions that I really want to answer this week. Thanks for all the feedback we're getting on Twitter, though. It has been great in terms of how you all feel about the game, and we we loved reading it. So we're going to answer John's question. Do the Royals want a title, or are they just looking to be in the playoffs? They are a playoff team, but I'm not even sure they think they are title contenders. And you know what? That's so interesting to me because the thing, the major difference between this year and last year is last year it was like, oh my gosh, we have a team. Super exciting. Go out. Cheer the team. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was just, we were swept up in this sort of euphoria that the team exists. And now uh, this year, we're still super pumped the team exists, right? Obviously loving it. But there is sort of that, like, you're not a baby anymore. You know, you've had a year to gel with each other. And I think there are definitely more expectations. Knowing Laura and Scott, I mean, they, as people expect to make the playoffs every year. If you're going to be playing professionally anything, I think – you have the mindset and you have a desire to win. So I think they, they want the title and I don't think there's this sort of conscious decision that, yeah, we'll just settle for the playoffs. But I, I, I I agree that we definitely sort of look and feel like, uh, we're, we're kind of willing to settle for that, you know, and I can kind of see it because I, I think that making the playoffs is a great bar to be at. I think that if we make the playoffs, that will make the season a success. Um, but I think they think of themselves as a playoff team. I don't know realistically how much they can be a title contender. I don't know. Sorry, Lucas. I was just going to say, I agree with, with that. Like they want to fight for the title. They, I think they have the self-belief um, that they can get there. Uh, and and they're a good team. They're a team that can beat any other team in this league on on you know on the right day. Uh, they've got the quality, but it's still a new team. They're still figuring it out. It's been an odd season for sure. Um, but yeah, but. 
like most team, you know, like most teams, they're going to drop points at some at some point in this season. Um, it's very rare that you get like a Man City type run to use a Broso analogy, um, where you can get over a hundred points in a season, you know, or something something crazy like that where you have so few games that you lose. Like the Utah Royals are a good team in a good league that's competitive. Um, they're a lot of fun to watch. Uh, they'll hopefully make the playoffs if they do. Would love to see them go all the way. Um, but you know, a playoff structure is kind of odd and they're, you know, they're doing well, but they're not perfect. And I think that's kind of where I land with that. So question for you, conceivably, do you think that they are title contenders? I think they're contenders, uh, at some level. I mean, they're now that they've, beat the thorns and the rain they've they've beat everyone in this league they've beat um north carolina courage when they were a better team last season um i think they could do it if things all come together at the right moment if everyone is gelling correctly and people are putting forth like their best individual performances i i really do think this team could go all the way but but then we see performances like, you know, that Houston Dash performance or when they lost away to Sky Blue. And I think having questions of them being title contenders is a very valid concern to have. Yeah. yeah. Here's how I view it. The playoffs is its whole own type of animal. I think once you're in, a couple good performances and you can definitely do it. I think so in the sense that if we make the playoffs, we are title contenders. We can do that. We can win two games in terms of winning the league. I, the way that the roster is currently structured, I do not think this team could conceivably like win the league, win the league out during the regular season. I think that there are too many other rosters, which are just better crafted than ours but playoffs anything can happen yeah i mean i think north carolina is gonna win it again but um yeah i mean i think maybe i'm just a little shaken after 12 to 1 in the last two games uh but i think you're right uh playoffs is totally different than league performance um at least in that you know to win um to finish the league with the most points, I think is a more meaningful accomplishment. Uh, but the fact that we have playoffs come later makes it seem like it's the more valuable accomplishment. And it's, it's really not. Um, but that's how it's structured. And I would love to see the Royals, you know, uh, win the championship. Yeah. The, you know, I just realized that because of the midweek game, we won't podcast to talk about the uh, the Carolina game. So I'm glad you brought that up again because that's so daunting. I think we can do it because it's, again, it's about like playing to our opponent's level. And so I think that, like, I see us losing to the rain and then beating Carolina. I think that that could very, very feasibly happen. But, um, them outscoring opponents 12 to 1. Super daunting. Hopefully we can take it. We'll see how the next two games go. We'll have a lot to talk about next Monday for sure in that regards. And then one other thought. It's going to be really interesting to see um, with expansion how or if, I guess, if how much that uh, Courage team gets sort of torn apart a little bit. Yeah, that that will be interesting to see. Um, and kind of going back to your point of we're not really previewing Saturday's game. There, there's just too many questions around Wednesday before we can get to that. But it's a game where we will desperately miss uh, Brittany Ratcliffe. Uh, I wonder, have you spoken to her? I wonder how she's doing in her recovery. 
I have not. I've been I've been horrible on that regards. I'll send her a text after this. It would be a great game to have the fear back. <laughs> it would be. It would be. We'll see how it goes. Hang tight. Buckle up. Um, we're gonna close out the podcast though with one other one other question because tons of people are talking about this. Tons of people want to know our, our opinion. So, Lucas, a lot of people have been talking about changing up the starting eleven or the formation. What changes to the starting eleven would you make? I think we started our best eleven um, against Houston. I, I was really excited when it dropped that it was the same team. Um, I think Mallory Weber at uh, outside back. You know, it's sort. I think it's obvious that Harvey is trying to replace uh, Kelly O'Hara. Um, and while I think Weber is a decent, um, attacking player, like I think she brings a good spark off the bench. I don't think she should be starting. Um, I'd much rather see Becca Moros in that role. Um, if Kelly O'Hara is out and like, who knows when her ankles will be better. I went to practice last week and she was not, she was not there. Um, it was last Wednesday. Uh, that to me feels like the one change I'd make. Like if we have a fully healthy squad, I would, you know, Kelly all day at left back. Um, I might even prefer uh, Kelly at right back, uh, Moros at left back and uh, take Bowen out, just try to shake things up. But I do want to see, I feel like, Vero is not the Vero we had hoped for. She's not performed to the level level that kind of the hype around her signing um, kind of made us believe in. I would sort of rather see, you know, it looks like the last, uh, the position was basically a, what what was it? A four, three, one, two with um, Stangle at kind of the tin roll. I'd rather see Vero there and either Stangle be at the bench, be benched, or used differently. Um, maybe like a more four-three-three, and you've got um, you know Scott as the holding midfielder. Barrows further up. Low is sort of a box-to-box type role, um, and then you've got Stengel like on one wing press, either in the middle or the left, and a rod at either center or or the other wing. Um, that's how I would like to see it, but it's just, yeah. It feels like the team is really close to being consistent and just not quite there. For me, before I give my preferred starting 11, is something that has been incredibly interesting is the lack of productivity from our are attacking players on the bench. Yeah, we're missing several of them. You know, Brittany's out, Taylor Lytle's out. Um, but I feel like um, Doniak is not working her way into the rotation like I would have thought she would have. Um, I feel like uh, when Timrak, when, when Erica's been playing, like Erica is m- much more capable of, uh, is, is capable of, I, I think being much more dangerous. There's just something off, just some sort of execution that it really feels like our bench great. There's not really anyone who I feel historically they can be game changers, but with what we've seen of them this year and last year, I just don't have a lot of confidence of being like, yeah, let's bring, you know. McKinney yeah, I mean, North Carolina like, Courage. Had an injury, uh, I think, in their last game pretty early on and brought Jessica McDonald off the bench. Like, that's insane. (laughs) You know, like, we don't have anyone who we're bringing off the bench that is close to that level. Uh, And, you know, I think that Mm because the players are good, you know, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Our 
you know, midfield, attacking midfield, wingers, however you want to play him. Because, you know, when you look at a player like Erica Timrak and can sort of play anywhere, I don't know if it's formation. I don't know if it's tactics. I don't know if it's X, Y, Z, Q. Players just don't look or or feel dangerous. And that's really kind of concerning when with past clubs and even last year, they've shown evidence of them being able to do that. I don't know what the ideal or the best lineup is for the rain, but uh, let's just go out there and get some points. Anything you want to close with man? No, I just think uh, it's going to be an interesting week and, by the time we podcast next week, I think we'll have a pretty good idea if they're going to be in the playoffs or not. Yeah. Yes. Very important week. All right. Hey, take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Utah Royals FC show.